This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. Live from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is a special reunion radio edition of Women at Work. Here's your host, Laura Zero. Welcome to our special edition of Women at Work, a weekly show about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zaro, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics. It is a very special weekend here on the Penn campus. If you look around, the sun is shining. There are balloons and smiling people. Everybody's taking pictures and hugging and kissing. It's really quite amazing. Part of it is that each of Penn's 12 schools is holding their commencement ceremonies, where we send our newest graduates off into the world. It's also reunion weekend, where alumni are coming back to connect with each other and share what they've learned since leaving Penn and Wharton. So we're lucky to have two of those alumni here today to do just that. In our first half hour, we'll be talking with Grace Vandercruz, founder and managing director at Grace Global Capital. Grace Vandercruz's career has been dedicated to a relentless mission of advising her clients in effectively executing growth, strategy, and managing change. Her real purpose is to assist organizations, teams, leaders to realize their highest potential, a recurring theme that I think you'll hear about today, um, by charting a range of possible futures rather than one predetermined outcome. She's the founder and managing director at Grace Global Capital, um, a consulting firm providing M&A financial advisory, restructuring and valuation to insurance executives, boards, and financial regulators since 2006. Throughout Grace's career, she's delivered advisory expertise on over $5 billion of insurance transactions. She's a board member of SBLI US and M Financial Group. And super cool is that she's climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, Annapurna, the Himalayan, and Bhutan, and Everest Base Camp. She's also a licensed sailor and a Wharton alumna, having earned her MBA in finance in 1994. So with that, let me say, Grace, welcome home. Laura, thank you. It's great to be here. So you and I had the great pleasure, at least it was my pleasure, that we got to have coffee yes. a little while ago. And we were talking about your story, how you and your family came to this country um, and the journey that you went on. And I wonder, especially in the context of thinking about you climbing mountains and sailing, could you tell me about where you started to find your mettle, your tenacity, and the people who inspired you? Absolutely. I'm the second oldest of seven children. In addition, my mom is uh, the second oldest of nine children, but my grandmother and granddad also adopted five young girls who lost their moms. Oh, my goodness. So uh, uh, my grandmother raised 14 children. 14 children? 14, and I'm actually one of 52 grandchildren. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But, Laura, I can assure you that I was the favorite. (laughs) I'm not surprised. (laughs) My grandmother and I had such a special bond. And one of her most treasured words to me were, believe beyond your limits. And even as a young child, hearing believe you beyond your limits, I did not know what that meant. But as I began to experience life, and I began to uh, work and climb mountains, Those words have become more and more real to me. So I always grew up in an environment where uh, we were taught to imagine, to to move beyond any obstacles that may come in your way, and just triumph. You know, so that's the kind of hopeful, inspirational environment I 
I was brought up in. That's really incredible. It touches my heart because I also had a very special relationship with my grandmother. And um, her words of wisdom guide me all the time. But I also look back in time because what it meant to say believe beyond your limits to a woman of her generation and in Mm -hmm. her circumstances was very different than the way we think about it as educated women in the United States now. So tell me a little bit about when you came to this country and what the reality was for all of you. Sure. So I was born in Guyana, South America. I grew up in a country of the size of Rhode Island, less than a million people. Uh, my parents, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked as, as part of the government of the country. And I, in spite of our humble beginnings, you could not tell me as a child I was poor. I was rich. I was rich in family members around me. I was rich. My aunts and uncles were all always in the house. My parents loved us dearly. And they always inspired us to do better. So I went to Catholic school, and I remember nuns and my uncles and my parents would say, what would you like to be? And I would say many different things. And sometimes I would say just what I I saw the last woman uh, doing. Like I would say what at one point I said, I'd like to be a traffic police officer, or I'd like to be a nun, I would say. So when you saw women in your environment, they Mm -hmm. were immediate role models. Immediate role models. And what I remembered was whatever I said, everyone just nod their heads. So nobody said no. No one said no. No one said you couldn't do it. And so I was raised with such a hope and such a, a wealth of possibilities that I just uh, uh, knew that I was going to uh, be upwardly mobile and do much more than even I could imagine. So when you came to this country, um, how much of that upward mobility was um, being carried by education or experience or connections that your family had coming in? Or was it really like lots of other immigrants, they were really starting from scratch here? Yes, my parents were starting from scratch, although we had had the benefit of family members being here two decades before we arrived. So we had an infrastructure uh, and great family bonds to, to begin here. And my parents really stress education. And quite frankly, I was so excited to be going to school in the United States. What made you excited about it? I was excited because growing up, I, it was always a dream my family had to, that what one day we will come to the United States. And I had family members already here. Some of them would come back to visit us. And I would always ask them for details. And everything about the United States seems exciting to me. I knew it was a bigger country. I knew that I would be attending uh, larger universities with more opportunities. And because I, w- I grew up uh, in a manner in which I had no restrictions as far as my dreams... United States was the perfect place for me. It sounds it. And, you know, we know how the story ended, at least to today, and that yes. you've seized, that you've built a lot of those dreams and seized them. Mm-hmm. But talk to me about that trajectory of how you leveraged the opportunities that were in front of you mm-hmm. to position yourself to do the kind of work you're doing now. Sure. So going back to high school, one of the advice that Uh, a a family friend had said to me was that, oh, Grace, high school in the United States is so easy, she said. Uh, You can watch soap opera and do your homework and you'll be just fine. 
So that's exactly what I did. <laughs> was it and the edge of night or General Hospital? It was General Hospital. I knew all about Luke and Laura and all the stories. I'm dating myself here. But Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but I noticed that I was getting uh, in the 70s scores, in the 70s and the 80s. And one day I was walking home from school, from my high school to home. And I, I, I lived in Brooklyn and I went to Tilden High School. And by the way, Tilden High School is the same high school that Larry King and Al Sharpton went to, just to put some perspective. So as I did my one mile journey home, I reflected on my day and I reflected I got these grades that were like 82 or, or 85. And I said, I thought to myself, what if I really studied? I wonder what my grades would be. <laughs> and so it was Sounds a, like a it conversation was a I've had with my teenager. <laughs> it was a minor challenge to myself. And I started to really seriously study. I, instead of heading home to, to watch soap operas, I would go to the local library. And I would not only study, but I would read additional books and magazines. And it just created that to open up the new world for me. And so my grades started just going from B's to A's. Amazing how that happens. You see? Amazing <laughs> how that happens indeed. And the other major inspiration for me was that my mom decided that she would go to school. And she enrolled in a college and started studying nursing. Oh, my God. And how many kids did she have? Seven. Seven children. So she uh, and she would tell me because the, the, the house, as you can imagine, with nine of us was very, very busy. So the <laughs> best time for me to study was to get up at two in the morning. So I would go to bed at eight, get up at two when it's very quiet. And my mom would say to me, wake me up when you're up. And so she would come to the dining room table and she would study with me. Oh, my goodness. And she and I had such a bond. And I, she was such a strength a tower of strength and inspiration for me in a way that I don't think she could possibly imagine. But it's one thing to tell your children, pursue their education. It's another thing to live it while they can see your walking, talking example of what that's like. And that's what my mom was like. So she and she was so happy. She was it opened up a new world. I saw this. I saw her blossom and grew. And she loved studying. She loved the opportunity. She loved talking about sharing the stories of, of the professors and her exams and her grades, that it was quite a bonding experience. So as you can imagine, not just for me, but my entire, our entire household and all our, the seven uh, children just knew that education was absolutely the key for us. I'm weepy hearing the story at the thought of the two of you up in the wee hours <laughs> of the morning, but striving together and supporting each, each other, other. Yes. and that seeing, getting faith from one another, and mm -hmm. also that you had this living, breathing role model of somebody who was not too old to go back to school, yes, not too busy to try. Yes. No wonder you climb mountains. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... With this major shift in your perspective, um, then you're coming out of high school with solid grades. Yes. How, how was college for you? College was wonderful. I went to a high school, just by way of background, when I first entered my high school, I got an aptitude test. And the counselor came out at the end of the day and said, you are going to be in the 10th grade, which is what I expected. And she said, for your major, we recommend one of two things either Spanish or accounting. 
So I was puzzled by both. I, I had done nothing in Spanish. And accounting, I did not know what accounting was. So uh, when I started to think of it, I thought, well, I knew Spanish already, but accounting was a mystery to me. And I was, I always gravitated towards challenges and learning. (laughs) To the mysteries. Yeah, just the quest to learn more. And I said, I'll do accounting. And I did accounting in high school. And it turned out, Laura, to be as easy as breathing for me. It was just, I just found something I love. And when I took the accounting regents, I got a perfect score. And the head, which was a big deal in my yeah, high school. That's hard to do, yeah. <laughs> and the head of my accounting department was also an adjunct professor at Pace University in New York City. And that's, that brought my transition to Pace University. You're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, and my guest today is the amazing Grace Vandercruz, founder and managing director of Grace Global Capital. She's a member of Wharton's MBA class of 1994 and joining us for our special reunion radio edition of the show. So, Grace, at this point, you've got an associate professor, he or she. He. He. So this teacher saw your talent Mm -hmm. and helped build a bridge to Pace Mm -hmm. University. And for people who don't know what Pace is, can you explain where it is? Sure. So Pace University campus is right across the street from City Hall in downtown New York City. And it has one of the best accounting programs in the country. And that's where I went. And so at this point, you're doing this courtesy of financial aid and scholarship, I'm presuming? And working. Okay. But it's an amazing thing where you can see the power of education mm-hmm. to fuel a meritocracy. Yes. That it's, and also matched with your own values and drive that you seized this opportunity and just kept running with it. Yes. So I do want to note for the record, because it's, it's, there's so many things in your story that I relate to. I don't live and breathe for accounting, though. <laughs> <laughs> and that it really is amazing that it wasn't just that you were really good at it. You felt it, it meant something to you. It it was interesting to you yes. and comfortable. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about how you made that journey to go to business school. Sure. After I graduated from Pace University, I worked for EY and I did auditing for six years. And just about the fifth year, it became monotonous for me. I was going back to the same clients and my clients loved me and I love them. I'm not surprised. But... I wanted more challenge. You know, accounting is a very prescribed set of standards that you follow. And as I learned more about finance and the complexity and having just much more dynamic uh, valuation models that I can learn, and I was just fascinated by Wall Street as well. I looked to go to the best business school to advance my education. Wharton, of Of course. course. And I have to tell you, I still remember the moment I opened the letter. Back then it was the letter. I opened the letter and got my admissions uh, response saying, you're admitted. I was elated. I mean, the world, my world was elated. My clients were elated. My family was elated. Isn't it amazing how vividly you can remember that moment? I'll never forget it. I had to. I went to the Graduate School of Education here at Penn, and I remember the moment I got my letter, and I think I screamed so loudly my colleagues (laughs) in the next office heard me. But it's like, you know, it's not just that affirmation, but for me, it meant a whole new door was opening. Absolutely. And I had applied to eight of the top 10 business schools. And I got accepted into seven, waitlisted well into one. Done. Yes. But I tell you, 
I can't remember any of the other letters, but I remember Wharton. Because you wanted Wharton. Yes, I did. So how did Wharton position you? How did you start your career post-MBA? Yes. So it positioned me even before graduation. So what's amazing about this campus is the exposure and access to business leaders, exposure and access to fellow students who've worked in the industry. So first, I started to network with students in my class that worked on Wall Street. And I was taking them out for drinks, and, and I, I, I'm a great cook. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I brought them home to my apartment and just said, tell me more about what you did. And everything they told me and all the advice they gave me just confirmed for me that this was an area I'd like to work in. Grace, I want to stop for a moment because I want to shine a, a, just a little light on something that you did. Because while you're acknowledging the bounty that was here and the yes. amazing people that were here, it's also testimony to you because a lot of people don't know um, how much you can learn mm-hmm. by opening the door, inviting people in, yes. asking questions, and learning from others. Yes. And you don't have to be a great cook. You could even do it with pizza. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like your curiosity yes. was key and your hospitality yes. to connecting with other people. Absolutely. And and much to my delight, they, they were as helpful to share their knowledge. And so between my first and second year, I interned at Merrill Lynch, and I have to tell you, I had never worked as hard as I did that summer. That's what I hear. Yes. I pulled, uh, in one week, I'd pulled three all-nighters. Uh, but I kept going because I also was learning and I was fascinated by all so of So were this. you still as excited to put in that energy? I was. I was. I was very much excited to pull the energy. And I worked at Merrill during that summer, had a very successful summer, and got an offer extended to me. So coming back for my second year, it was much more relaxing because I did not have the pressure of thinking where my where my next step would be after Wharton. I pretty much knew where I wanted to go. And so you were ready to embark on the world as soon as you graduated. Yes. Um, but the way that you started your career is not where it is now. No. So talk to me about what that first phase of your career was and what led you to found Grace Capital. Sure. So the very first phase of my career, imagine this, it was in 1994 at Merrill Lynch. So when I entered the financial services group, it was as if I was entering a professional frat house. I I am not surprised. It really was. And, and when you say frat house, you mean it wasn't just that it was a lot of white men. No. There was a, a culture there. It was a culture there. And uh, it was uh, it was very difficult to navigate my way through. The, uh, in, in the midst of all of that, one important nugget that came out for me that I still treasure to this day was that I, I noticed that, that everyone in the group wanted to work on banks. Now, this is a group that covers banks and insurance companies and finance companies. Everyone avoided the insurance industry. And when I found out why, one of the reasons uh, was that in order to to really cover insurance companies, you have to understand two sets of accounting. Insurance, the insurance industry has U.S. GAAP, which everyone does have, but it also has U.S. statutory accounting. So many of the many of the bankers didn't want to go the extra step or didn't have the, 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 the accounting background to really learn a second set of accounting. And as I looked at that path less chosen, 
that became so attractive to me. And I decided I was going to focus on uh, insurance. How much of this was because you clearly thrive with a real challenge? And how much of it was that the challenge was fundamentally about another dimension of accounting, which you said before is like comes to you like breathing? Yes. So I think it was a part, it both played a role. Both, you know, my quest for uncharted territory and learning new things and and also using my background of accounting in the process. So that part all seems perfectly natural. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not news to me that banking, especially then, was a frat house. Yes. What were some of the examples of that kind of culture? What did you have to learn in order to survive it? One of the things I learned was networking, to really learn how to choose mentors, but more importantly, to choose a sponsor. This is an important distinction that too many people don't make. So right. Talk to me about how you sure. figured out that difference. So uh, a mentor is someone you can go to and relate stories to and get their advice and uh, really incorporate that into your into your path. A sponsor is someone in a position of power and leadership that understands your journey, understands your strengths and weaknesses, but also have a voice and a vote at the table that will direct your career. It is hard to find a sponsor. Isn't it? It very, it's not an easy thing. Especially in a culture where the way networking is done is like a frat house. Yes. And so if it's done in the golf course and it's done uh, at the bars or in areas where you may not be as comfortable, you are uh, technically excluded. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was, uh, it was super difficult for me. And I think p- part of the reasons why I left Merrill Lynch was because of the culture. I got an offer to work at the first private equity fund focused in the insurance industry. What a perfect merger oh of, my goodness. of it, it, topics for you. Yes. And it, it was an opportunity that was tremendous. And because it was the first PE fund, we worked on every single transaction in the industry, practically taking companies public, doing private sales. We started Partnery, which still exists today. And we had an IRR of 67%. So imagine the opportunity that that gave me. That's enormous. And that part of my career. So what made you decide, though, to go and build your own enterprise? Okay. So right before the financial crisis had occurred, I was working as a managing director at Swiss Re. And for the last three years in my role as managing director, we changed uh, leadership and ownership four times. That's enough to make your head spin. It is enough to make your head spin. You talk about disruption. And uh, I had a long time to think about this. And I'd say the boldest move I've ever made that I've never regretted was starting my own firm. I am so proud of the fact that I took the initiative and that I'm able to really advise clients uh, with a sense of care and a sense of direction without any distraction of politicking and just focus on client and their needs. It's really 
amazing to see the journey that you went on and how all of the strengths that you were able to cultivate and identify carried with you, but also um, I, I come back to your grandmother's words, to believe beyond your limits. Yes. Did you doubt yourself in this process at all? I had moments. I had moments because they will come. It's impossible. <laughs> It's impossible not to doubt, but I do think that I have such a strong foundation and such a great network of support. And when I look at the opportunities in the industry of insurance, where we're going through a transition uh, and innovation and insurance companies are really taking the initiative to really be more customer centric, I think it's an, it's an amazing opportunity. And for me as a woman, I would advise every single woman that right now, it's the golden opportunity of entrepreneurship. Tell me more. What I mean by that is that many women uh, work in their career paths and they view them, they're viewed as being fairly limited. Mm -hmm. And yet they have skills, skill sets and talents that they're not using at work. Why not carve and carve our future where we can uh, design a company where you can fulfill all of your talents and your goals and your objectives? And entrepreneurship is a perfect way to do it. I think it's it, I think it's no accident that small businesses and entrepreneurships uh, are the fastest growing uh, segment. And what an enormous percentage of them are, are women. women. Tremendous. Because yes. it gives you a way to unleash your talent, mm -hmm. pursue your ambitions with no, without being hampered by culture. Yes. Yes. And it gives you a chance to create your own culture. Grace, I, I am so delighted. I, it's like I, I'm heartbroken that time is ending. Mm -hmm. But thank you so much for joining us you here on welcome. Women at Work. You are welcome. If people want to find out more about your work, and where can they find you? At graceglobalcapital.com. And on Twitter? Grace Global Capital and Grace Van de Cruz as well. Okay. I'm Laura Zarrow, and you're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.